I don't want you to come to school when you haven't got any hair. That'll be just so embarrassing. I expect to have another nine years because I've just bought all these clothes and I want to get some good wear out of them. Two point two heavy responding to probe one. Will you hear again, that lady unconscious? Topic approach one three two zero. Hi, I'm Landa Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and this is a podcast series about mateship, about life in the bush, and about the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in servicing rural communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. Your bones can break really, really, really easily. Like, I broke the C2 in my neck, which is known as the hangman's fracture, and the doctor very kindly told me. Cancer is a major cause of illness in Australia and has a substantial social and economic impact on individuals, families and the community. It doesn't only strike those that live in city areas and for that reason, the Royal Flying Doctor Service has long had a role in assisting people in country Australia with cancer. It's a hard topic to talk about, both for those suffering, those who are close to a cancer patient and sometimes even harder for those that watch from afar and feel helpless to personally do anything to assist. Maggie Murphy was first diagnosed with breast cancer some 21 years ago, and her story is a fresh take on the realities of living with cancer and how important your mental approach is to your own health outcomes and quality of life. Hello, Maggie. Hello, Lana. Hello. Thanks so much for coming to talk to me today. You're welcome. Yeah. Maggie, can you tell me about your five-acre block of paradise in regional Victoria? <laughs> um, yes, it's uh, just a few kilometres out of Heathcote and South Heathcote. Um, uh, I don't farm anything. It's just garden and paddock. I have a few sheep or at the moment I've got some rams that come to visit from a very kind neighbour uh, who lends them, you know, sends them here on holidays to keep the paddock grass down. Um, I've planted uh, damson plum trees, um, which the cockatoos come and eat all the fruit. Um, I planted a, a, I thought it'd be useful to have a, have a little walk. Seeing I've got this five acres, um, why not make a pathway, uh, a walkway, um, so I can have a walk without leaving home. And so I planted um, 30 originally lemon-scented gums around this uh, the, the, this pathway. I think there are about 20 that have left and have grown. Um, so I, I garden. I've got a huge garden all around the house and that um, entertains me. I myself live on a rural block and it brings me such pleasure to watch the birds and the lizards and the kangaroos and the echidnas and the wombats. Yes. Do you yeah. find it grounding as well? Well, I suppose so. There are a few things that I would like to see a little bit further underground, and that's rabbits. Um, they are the bane of my life because they, yeah, there's just hundreds and hundreds of rabbits here. So, but the yes, um, there's kangaroos and hundreds, the soft-crested cockatoos. They're all the ones that I don't particularly have a fondness for. The kangaroos, <laughs> the rabbits. The uh, sulfur-crested cockatoos, and you get a hundred of those screeching over, you can't hear yourself think. But, again, it, yes, there's all the, the beauty in them as well as the other critters that abound as well. Yeah. Would you explain to me why the 20th of July is an important date for you each year? 
Yes, um, it's a, it's the day, uh, it's the anniversary of the day when my first child was born, Kate, in 1984, so a long time ago, which makes it now easier to um, to embrace this memory and talk about it. Um, and so Kate was born with cancer. It was unheard of at the time. She was born with cancer of the pancreas and God knows why that happened. Um, and it, it's, this was in England I was an Australian girl having a baby, first baby in England, and um, it was altogether a very difficult time, as you can imagine. She died at six weeks. And so in those ensuring, um, well, in the ensuring time after, um, it was very difficult to cope with that grief and loss and pain. And so I eventually decided that one way to cope with this would be to say and every time those emotions of sadness came up and I would uh, feel all of those frustrations and anger and emotions, I would say, right, Maggie, put that in your back pocket and save that up until July the 20. That can be your sad day and you can... um, be as sad as you like and uh, uh, and commemorate her memory, especially on that day. It helped me get through the times that were difficult um, when I would be just overwhelmed with grief and sadness. And so I would say, come on now, um, there's other things to do, so you better get on with it. Um, and you can save up uh, that emotion for July 20. And so I did that, and as the years have gone on, I've always done something special on that day, whether I planted a tree or a bulb or I've opened a special bottle of wine, <laughs> done something, just done something um, to commemorate her memory. Yeah. Look, that's, that's, it must have had a terrible impact on you with Kate being your firstborn. Did yeah. you worry that your next child may have the same problem? Oh, um, well, my husband and I were assured that it would never, ever, ever happen again, um, and it didn't. But of course, yes, it was a very worrying time. But I'm happy to say now I have um, a James and a Winsome, both healthy and happy and living in Australia. Yes, that is wonderful. And so your two beautiful children, James and Winsome. When James was 13 and Winsome was 11, I understand yeah. that you were personally diagnosed with breast cancer. Could you yes. tell me a little bit about your life at that time? Yes, I was living in the Dandenong Ranges in um, uh, east of Melbourne and I had a bed and breakfast business. Um, I'd had a bed and, bed and breakfast business in Yorkshire in England too. I, I loved the idea of being home-based and still generating some income to be um, home full-time for my children, and I was able to do that. Um, so that's what I was doing in the Dandenongs. I opened a B&B, one of the first B&Bs in Victoria. I remember at the time uh, you couldn't put your shingle out saying B&B because no-one knew what that was. It could have been bread and butter, you know. So you had to write bed and breakfast. It was such a new concept. Um, so I was running B&B. Um, James and Wen were at school in the Dandenongs. Um, I'd been divorced about 12 months at that time and uh, I had a routine mammogram 
that showed up that I had um, uh, breast cancer. Uh, I then had a lumpectomy and radiotherapy and chemotherapy and, you know, you get thrown into all of the drama that ensures. Do you remember how you felt when you received that diagnosis and what decisions you had to make? Well, um, um, what did I do? Yeah, it's a shock. Obviously it's a shock, but I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, here I am, another statistic, but, you know, all God's children got cancer, uh, it seemed. Um, So I I just dealt with it, really. Um, And I was able to continue running my little business from home. Um, My my kids were still at school. Uh, Life continued pretty much as it had, even though emotionally I was a different person. You're confronted with... um, you know, your mortality and and perhaps that's going to be a little bit sooner than you expected. Uh, You do go through all of those dark thoughts, but then I just kept kept on doing what I was doing as one has to. Yeah. How did your kids take the news of the cancer diagnosis? Uh, That that was scary. It was very scary for them. And, um, um, you know, they were 11 and, and 13, but they knew that, People who women who had cancer and the drugs that they had to take made their hair fall out. And I remember Wynne saying to me, oh, I don't want you to come to school when you haven't got any hair, you know, that'll be just so embarrassing. And I said, no, well, I won't be doing anything to embarrass you. So, um, you know, I also had a choice of whether I had the infused chemo or uh, a tablet form, I think it was. Well, there was a choice of two different chemos and one you lost your hair and another one didn't. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll go for the hard stuff, thank you very much, And um, which meant my hair would come out and I would look pretty dreadful, presumably, for a bit. And I remember saying to them both, well, if this is how a person looks when they're being given drugs to make them better and they look dreadful, um, imagine... Imagine what the drugs that you're not supposed to take will do to you, even though they may make you feel wizzo and wonderful for five minutes or five hours or five days or whatever. Um, so let this be a lesson to you. And I need to make this decision based on what's good for me and how I feel at the moment. You know, up until now, I would all, you know, I've, I've put you first, I'd say to my children. Um, their, their needs would be paramount but it had to turn around when you're faced with this diagnosis and you think, oh, okay, Um, I think what's the best thing here for me in this case? And they accepted that and I think they grew up pretty quickly in a way that they didn't need to at the time, but it has put them in good stead. Mm. So in Australia, the overall five-year survival rate for breast cancer in females is 91%. Uh, and if the cancer is limited to the breast, then 96% of patients will be alive five years after diagnosis. And you're still here some years on. So we could presume you conquered it at that time, which is fabulous. Well, I did. But then it came back to bite me um, 11 years later. And I've now had that for nine years. And that's um, this breast cancer in my bones. So that was a real shock. That was, that was more of a shock and harder to deal with than the initial diagnosis of breast cancer. 
So cancer, being somewhat unpredictable, can move in the body. And when a cancer progresses from one location or organ to other parts of the body, uh, it's called metastatic cancer. Could you tell me, um, had you been feeling poorly or what had been the symptoms that had led to that diagnosis? Oh, now that's interesting. Uh, no, I hadn't been feeling poor. I'm, I'm as healthy as a Mally Bull, me, and no one else in the family has had cancer, well, skin cancer, but that's a different type of kid. No one in my family has had breast cancer or any other type of um, cancer. Um, so when this metastasized, no, I, I'd had... Yeah, I had I had aches and pains in in my leg um, and my hips, I think, and I put it down to having I was having long uh, car journeys to Canberra and round about to seeing friends and things, and then my my boss at the time, the lady I worked with, said, "Oh, I think you should go and get that checked out, Maggie," and so I did, and my doctor here in Heathcote said, oh, because you've had breast cancer, I think we'll do a bone scan. And I'm thinking, oh, why is that? All right. It didn't occur to me. I don't think I'd even heard of metastatic breast cancer at that stage. Um, And it turned out that I had bone cancer. So um, that that was a real shock. Would you mind explaining what is bone cancer? Like what does it actually do to your bones? Well, it looks apparently um, that there's so much cancer throughout all of my bones. It makes them very brittle. And when you take a scan, it's like lace. You know, you you can't see, well, these days now it's hard to tell the difference from one scan to another because, well, if you've had, if you've got, one or two spots of cancer in your bones and six months later they take another scan and there are a few more spots. Well, those spots have got bigger. It's obvious to see that's how it's spread, whereas with mine there's so many little dots all over, they can't join the dots to see um, whether it's, um, well, it has, it's progressed enormously. So it, it just makes your bones very, very brittle and the, 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 the effect of that means that you can, your bones can break really, really, really easily. Like I had a broken lower back and I didn't know how that happened. Well, I, I do actually. That, you know, I was bending over and it went snap. Um, I broke the C2 in my neck, which is known as the hangman's fracture, the doctor very kindly told me. And... Um, uh, I have no idea how that happened. Uh, and then last year my uh, uh, my hip bone broke and I don't know how that happened either. So I have to be very careful not to have a fall. Um, not Don't let people give me bear hugs um, <laughs> or anything too dramatic. Yeah, it's, um, it, it can be scary, but I, it doesn't dominate. How, what I do and how I feel. I'm just careful. So what was the prognosis for you from the doctors when you were diagnosed with bone cancer? Oh, they don't tell you what your prognosis is. Um, you know that it's um, not good, but no one, at the time I wasn't told, oh, well, you've got six months to live or three years to live or 10 years to live. No, no one ever, t- no one told me that. And I probably didn't bother or dare to ask. Um, but recently, 
uh, one of the with every drug that you have, there are side effects. And so, a previous drug that I was on, I I lost a lot of weight. Um, I lost about fourteen kilos. Um, not that um, I didn't mind losing 14 kilos. I mean, I wasn't an over, oversized person, but I was. Um, I thought, well, you've lost this weight. You've never been a size eight before, so how about we go out and enjoy that, Maggie? So I went out and spent an enormous amount of money, which I couldn't afford, on some new clothes. And um, I remember my uh, oncologist, bless him, um, uh, was um, uh, talking about the uh, treatment and that that I'm having and I was concerned because my cancer had advanced um, that I may not, you know, how how much longer, as you say, what's my prognosis now? And um, he did say, well, you know, most people uh, really only have three years uh, of good living after they've been diagnosed with a metastatic breast cancer and you've had nine years. And I said, and yes, I... I expect to have another nine years because I've just bought all these clothes and I want to get some good wear out of them. Um, yeah. I think that's perfectly <laughs> reasonable, <you>. Maggie. Because <laughs> I'm usually not so extravagant with my uh, wardrobe. But, you know, I must say that um, uh, having spoken to you both on, you know, Zoom video and so forth, um, you're always very well dressed and I do love your red hat particularly. So I think your fashion sense is is certainly says a lot about you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. No, well, uh, I always had a good head of hair um, and now I've got precious little. So I've been able to enjoy getting some wonderful hats and turbans and things and um, and colouring up my life a little bit. That's yes, even great. even though here I'm here on my own. And now I understand. I'm sure that you must have good days and bad days. Um, what do you do to stay positive? Well, we've been talking about my garden. Um, there's always things to pop up in your garden. You look forward to that. Um, I have James and Winsome, who I have great faith in their future, and I look forward to their. Um, their adventures and everything they're doing, that's that's a good day. That's something to always to look forward to and stay positive. I have great friends. I love to sing. I've always got a new song to learn um, and that's, um, that's, that's fun. That's fabulous. Do you have to stick to a specific diet as part of your ongoing cancer program? Yes, I have to have two glasses of good red wine every <laughs> night with dinner. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Are you in any pain on a daily basis? No, uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Um, you, I'm sure other cancer patients will know your fingers and your feet go numb and tingly and sore and it hurts to walk sometimes. Um, so that seems to be an ongoing problem. Different, different times with different drugs that you could be on, and I'm always on something, um, will affect you in different ways. So... Look, I'm very, very lucky at the moment. All I'm taking is osteopanadol. You know, there have been times when I've been on harder stuff, um, but not for any permanent length of time, which is good. That's great. Yeah. I have a good quality of life. I really do. And um, I have to admit that I'm now in my 70s. Goodness, where did that time go? But all of my mates and other people that I know and hear of, 
everyone's got something to deal with, you know, whether they've got arthritis or diabetes or having hip replacements or, you know, and, and people have grief in different ways to deal with from uh, for all sorts of reasons. So I don't feel I'm any different to anyone else. I agree, Maggie. Now, you have fortnightly treatments in Bendigo and yes. um, I understand the Royal Flying Doctor Service comes and helps to take you to those treatments. How does that work? Oh, oh it's a wonderful service um, that uh, Heathcote has been graced with here. Um, the Flying Doctors, so they don't come in helicopters, they come in, <laughs> in their little motor cars. Um, so the service has been rolled out in regional Victoria and I believe Heathcote was the first town that embraced that. So it's run by volunteer drivers and there's a little office uh, in the, the Heathcote Primary Health Hospital here, another wonderful service here in our small town. Um, so uh, for people who are not able to get themselves to medical appointments, um, people on pensions and uh, uh, I, I guess it's just people who are on pensions are able to call up the service and uh, they will uh, get you to your appointments and they always do um, get you there on time. Um, I've been unable to drive at uh, some points in time, especially after my last operation. Uh, and then when my neck went kaput on me, I wasn't able to drive for some time. So there's... And that will be an ongoing feature of my condition. There's going to be times when I'm limited with what I can do and I have to be prepared for that. And so knowing that the Flying Doctor Service is here and can take me to Bendigo to my oncology appointments and scans and things uh, is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful service. I'm extremely grateful. Well, I I can say certainly from our perspective that it's wonderful to be able to help people to continue living at home, no matter the challenges. So I'm I'm really, really happy that we're able to provide that service for you. If you were giving advice to someone else who was facing a challenge with cancer, what would that be? Oh, goodness. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, well, just find the positives in your life. And there's always positives, no matter how deep down, you, how badly you're feeling. Um, there's always something to look forward to and so look for that star in the sky and follow it. Um, I'm, I'm not saying you you don't acknowledge uh, the difficulties and the sadness and the, the things that you have to cope with. Um, obviously you deal with them but try and deal with them with dignity and have things to look forward to. Maggie, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And thank you for sharing and talking about a subject that is often so difficult. And I am definitely going to come and visit you in your garden. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. And thank you, Lana. And um, I don't think I've got anything special to say. Um, but if you think anything that I have to say helps someone else, well, I'm very, very pleased to be part of your program. Thank you. The Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone who you think will love it too. Thank you for listening to the Flying Doctor podcast. <laughs>